You are listening to the Kensington Church Podcast, recorded live in Michigan. To learn more about Kensington, visit kensingtonchurch.org. We are talking about this series we've based around a scripture in Micah, chapter 6, verse 8. And as Craig, wasn't it great having Craig uh, last week with us? Man, that guy's phenomenal. I love him so much. And uh, he's gentle and loving. And and what we did, we took the scripture and we flipped it um, because it says to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly. And last week, Craig led us through this first idea of walking humbly. And what's incredible about that is it's really the humble heart that begins to become the heart that can be a loving heart, right? And today we're talking about this idea of loving mercy. So it was Craig with walk humbly and loving mercy. And there's something incredible about when you think about the idea of mercy, and we're going to define it more and discover it and read through it and understand it, but we all need mercy at some point in our life. Every one of us do. And uh, I was doing a wedding a little while back, and it was for my niece, and uh, it was an outdoor wedding, and we had my nephew was kind of helping seat everybody. And I told him, I said, just put everybody, you know, on, you know, groom side or bride side. You can ask him, you know, who you here for, groom, bride kind of thing. He goes, okay, okay. I said, got it? I said, groom side, bride side. And he said, no problem, I got it. And so, man, there's tons of people flooding in, coming around the house to my, my older sister's backyard, and it overlooks a big lake, and it was, like, beautiful, and there's music going, and everyone's excited, and it's, like, an outdoor perfect wedding with 72 degrees, and sunny, doesn't that sound really good right now? <laughs> hey, it's going to be 37 today, and Michiganders are like, woo, man, t-shirts, shorts, you know, that's what you do when it's, like, negative two, <laughs> the day before, you take advantage of 37, right? So, but this wedding is picturesque, it's beautiful, and all of a sudden, People in the, the, the wedding party looked at me and they go, what's going on over here? And I look over and I, and I say, I don't know. And I look over and I see that people are, are being seated, you know, and it's like filling up on this side and that side. But what I notice, it's like all guys on one side and all girls on the other. <laughs> and my nephew thought it meant to put, if you're here, for, you know, for the groom, all the groom boys are over here <laughs> and all the girls are over here. And people are like disgruntled and getting upset. And, 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 and Griffin's sitting there and he, and like people are like, no, I'm over here. And he goes, no, you can't go over there. You go over there. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're taking the order from a 12-year-old, <laughs> and they're doing that, right? And, and so everyone's kind of upset, and I'm like, give him a little mercy. He's never done this before, right? And this idea of mercy is, is a beautiful thing, because in the moments when we really need it most, often people don't yell it for us. They don't advocate for us. They don't think we're deserving of it. I, I love the movie Braveheart for so many reasons, but at the very end of the movie, William Wallace's escorted or drug in. Do you remember that part? He's, he's pretty much cantilevered across this post and he's on this cart and they're bringing him in and there's this silence in the crowd. And in this silence, you could have heard a pin drop. He's brought in and all of a sudden, somebody begins to yell out and they want punishment for him and they want pain for him and they want persecution to be brought to William Wallace, the one that was the betrayer the one that had you know, committed these crimes, right? And they're, they're all coming against him. And as the time and the scene unfolds, people begin to have a first step, a first opportunity to watch and witness the pain he begins to endure, the persecution he's in. And the crowd, once again, it dials down, it's silent. And all of a sudden, finally, and you can feel it, there's this sense when we actually empathize. I think of the WAVE project, what we get to be part of when you actually see people and you begin to know people and you feel their pain and something happens. It's like a conduit that reciprocates of empathizing of what they're going through. And a lady from the crowd yells, mercy. And everybody joins in the yell, mercy. 
And they desire this. And I, and I really want to just suggest this today that I I'm really want you to consider that maybe it's mercy is this lost balm. It's this lost healing ointment. It's this lost essence of who God is in his heart toward us. Unfailing love. This unlimited mercy he offers us. But we live in a society where we're not like that. You wrong me, I'll wrong you. You say something I don't agree with, I cut you off. I unfriend you. I'm done, right? And there seems to be no mercy. And I, I think as we, we look today, as we begin to press into this idea today, there's, there's something greater to be had there. I, I want to show you this verse right there in Micah. It says, he, referring to the Lord, has shown you, you and I, not like he's shown you, he's shown me, Jeremiah. He's showing me. He's showing us. He's showing all of us here and online. Oh, mortal, he's speaking to the reality that we don't have it all figured out, and it's okay. We have a lot to learn. Do you agree? We're growing. Oh, mortal, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you? And here it goes. To act justly and to love mercy. Say that with me. Love mercy. And to walk humbly with your God. And it's an interesting phrase, to love. Jesus says, everybody's going to know you the way that you love one another to his disciples. And he says, this is the way that I want you to love one another. With an unconditional love. And he says, I want you to unconditionally love mercy, which is this idea of love. And it's interesting, this thing of giving mercy. And, and, and we're a culture that doesn't want to give mercy. We can sit and talk about mercy. People might cry about mercy. They get excited. Somebody cuts you off and you're, you're mad. <laughs> There's no mercy for their bad driving at all, right? At all. Or I mean, I think my, 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 my sons have watched a show before, Cobra Kai. Have you ever seen that or heard about that? And this main thing, this like extension of like the Karate Kid, you know. And there's this phrase, strike hard, strike first. And what to say? No mercy, none at all, none given, none offered. And this is not the way of Jesus. In fact, no mercy is no way to live. This is no way to live our lives at all. To do that, to not offer mercy. In fact, Jesus goes as far to say, I want you to love people. In fact, I want you to even love your enemies. He says, you've heard it said this, hate your enemies, do that. But no, 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 I want you to love your mercy. Love your enemies. This is a unique moment, right, to actually love and to do this. Dr. Martin Luther King said this, and there is a power there that eventually transforms individuals. That's why Jesus says, love your enemies. Because if you hate your enemies, you have no way to redeem and transform your enemies. But if you love your enemies, you will discover that the very root of love is the power of redemption. As we separate ourselves and we don't offer mercy and we don't offer an opportunity to even see people or connect to people or to even, dare I say, love people and care for them, then there's no opportunity for mercy and there's no opportunity for redemption and anything at all like that. It isn't interesting when you are extended mercy yourself. Can you think right now when you've been granted just a little bit of mercy? You know, somebody's offered you just a little bit of mercy. And what did it do to you? Didn't it change you? We all need mercy. I, I'm a voice texter. I take my phone often and voice text stuff. And my staff knows. And if you're friends with me, it never comes out the same. Thank God it's not been like autocorrective profanities. But I, I say things all the time. And when we had, you know, one guy here was speaking. I said, our campus director is going to take good care of you. And I, I said, and when it spelled out, it said cannabis director. <laughs> you know, and I was texting with a worship guy a couple days ago and I said no problem or can you know our, our campus director will help you and I said campus tractor you know and I just it just go, goes on and on right and it's like man but there's something beautiful about when mercy is extended to us 
I'll never forget when Caleb was little. He was a young boy. He's 17 now, but he's a little boy. And we were at uh, Target. And I, we were checking out, and he put a few extra packs of gum up on the counter. If you've got young kids or grandkids, they always do. You get to check out, and they put five or six more things, right, up there. And, and so he did that. And, and we, my card got denied, and we rang it up for a lower thing. And I told Caleb, you can't have the gum and stuff. And we were a little bit, we were tight on money, to be honest with you, at that time. And the cashier looked across from me, and she said, here you go. I said, no. She goes, she pulled cash out of her pocket and paid for it for me. And it might have just seemed like a small extension of mercy or grace, but I'll never forget it. Mercy does such a profound work in our lives. I think we've underestimated, we've undervalued, and we've underserved others, if I could say that, as a church, of this beauty and this amazing thing called mercy. What is mercy? What is mercy? Can you imagine now mercy being extended in the most desolate part of your life when you needed it? In the most distraught moment of somebody else's life, you're an agent of mercy and able to offer it. What would it begin to look like, right? What would that mean to you or to them? Carolyn Custis James says it this way, an incredible author and speaker, says, mercy is the rich Hebrew word hased. Hased. Say it with me. Hased. Hased. Right? And you can say, what did you say? Hased. What did I say? Right? Hased. And it's one of the most, she says, potent words in the entire Bible. And in fact, she even extends this idea. It's the bedrock of God's people. At its core, it describes God's heart for them. No English word captures the meaning of hased. So Hebrew translators chose from words like kindness and mercy and loyalty and loving kindness and loyal, steadfast, unfailing, or just plain love. Like she said, it's impossible to get in our vernacular to describe through vocabulary what hased means. When somebody has blessed you, they've given you grace, they've given you unmerited favor, they've loved you unconditionally when you didn't love them back or you seem so far from deserving love. She says, in this word, it's not even possible in the English language to capture God's heart and what was going on in these moments. This is what's beautiful. And in the Hebrew and Micah, what it's saying, it's like love, unfailingly love, unfailing love. Like just be committed to being committed to love in, in a beautiful way. And mercy is not just loving. Mercy is showing love. It is dispensing love. It is not the desire to offer and experience love. It is, the, it is literally dispensing it and moving it out. And I, and I stop and I think, God, show us this today. Like help us understand what mercy is. And what I love about when we look to Scripture, sometimes we can make this Scripture like so above us and so beyond us we can never understand it. And there are parts of it when it comes to understanding the heart of God that like perplexes my brain and my soul and my heart. But there are parts that are so real and so honest and so authentic about our human condition, the fragility of who we are, right? We're frail, we're broken, we, we're, we're not always to be trusted. Man, we let people down, we hurt people, we say things we thought we never would say, we do things we thought we never would do, and yet we find this redemptive, beautiful story of God loving and coming after us. And I want to take us through, just for a few moments, the story of a guy named Hosea. He was a prophet to Israel, he was a mouthpiece to Israel, he was like a messenger, if you would, to the people of Israel. These were God's people. And Israel's in a tough spot. In 20 years, they've been through almost six kings. Four kings had been assassinated. One had been overthrown. One got pushed out. I mean, they, they just were in a tough spot. The Assyrian Empire at that time was the world superpower. 
had really taken the people of Israel. Many of them brought them into exile, scattered them, and they were all over. They are now serving false gods. They are caught up in a culture they don't know anything about. It's hurting them. It's, it, 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 it's a mess. And God is inviting them back and calling them back, but they're not listening. And sometimes in our heart, God might be inviting us and back to something beautiful to experience something amazing that he wants to offer us. And sometimes we can feel guilty or shame we can feel just caught up in the temporary pleasures or moments or caught up in our own anger or caught up in our own hatred, caught up in our own distaste. Even any idea of God or religion disgusts us. Maybe you're there. Maybe you felt that. And God is trying to show us something different about him. And he's going to paint a picture that's so realistic and so honest and so true through Hosea. And he tells Hosea this, you're my prophet. I don't want you just to tell people. I want you to show people the way I love them. And here's what you're going to do. And it picks up here. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call him Jezreel, because I will soon punish the house of Jehu and the massacre of Jezreel, and I will put an end to them and break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel. And then Gomer conceived again, and she gave birth to a daughter. And then the Lord said, call her Lo-Rumhama, which means not love, for I will no longer show love to Israel, that I should at all forgive them. Yet I will show love to Judah, and I will show them, not by bow or sword, but I, the Lord, God, will save them. And after she had weaned Lo-Rumhama, Gomer had another son. And then the Lord called him Lo-Hamai, which means not my people. For you are not my people and I'm not your God. And I'll be honest, when I first read this, I thought, I'm not sharing the book of Hosea, God. <laughs> That's a really rough picture of who you are, man. <laughs> I think I'm just going to like stare that page out, right? But I think there's a part of God where he's beginning to share this reality of the unfaithfulness of Israel to God. And there's this part of it, it wasn't just like a, a, a you know, God Almighty and high here and these people away. God is saying, you've really offended me. You've hurt me. Like, I, I feel like you're deserving of punishment the way you've been punishing me and treating me and been unfaithful to me. I feel like you're not even deserving of love. It's like these emotions that are being expressed through Hosea. He said, you're not even my people. I don't even know you. Have you ever had somebody actually say that to you? Where they look at you and you've, you, you, you've hurt, maybe you've hurt them. Just be, let's just be super honest today. I have, I have hurt people. I have hurt Maria. I have hurt people. I have let people down and people have looked at me and said, I don't even know you. Like, I don't even know who you are right now. I don't even, know, I don't even, I don't even understand you, what's going on in you. And it feels horrible. And this idea of covenant, God is saying this covenant has been broken. God is a covenantal God. The covenant is these two parties coming together, making a commitment, trying to keep it together, right? That's, that's the whole thing. And, and there's this idea of love in our culture that it's full of reciprocity. You love me, I'll love you. You, you do things like I do, and I'll do things the way that you want me to, and, and, and we'll have this commitment, we'll have this covenant, right? And as long as everything's kept up on the covenant's end, we're all good. But you break covenant, and you break me, and you hurt me, I'm done with you. And God is going to introduce and show something so different. And there's this outfall. There's this, this like falling out of, of what happens here. It says in verse 4, he says, I will not show my love to her children. See, Hosea marries this lady named Gomer. And 
because they are the children of adultery. The children don't even belong to Hosea. They are from her being literally unfaithful to him. Their mother has been unfaithful and she conceived them in disgrace. She said, I will go after my lovers who give me food and my water and my wool and my linen and my olive oil and my drink. I, I, there's this like part of this addiction, you can almost feel it. She keeps betraying Hosea and she's going off to other lovers. This is almost Steve Andrews was sharing, one of the founders of our uh, movement here in Kensington, that this is almost like a parallel to the prodigal son. He's leaving the father that loved him. He says, I don't want what you have. Give me what, you, you, give me what you're going to give me and I'm going to go out. And I'm just going to go figure this all out on my own. And it's crazy. And, and it goes on in verse 13. God's laying this out again. I will punish her for the days... She burned incense to the Baals. She decked herself with rings and jewelry and went after her lovers. But me, listen to this phrase, me she forgot, declares the Lord. Me she totally forgot. Have you ever felt forgotten or left out? It's the worst. Have you ever felt forgotten or left out, but it's actually because of betrayal? Even if it's something simple, right, like, you know, Everybody want to go hang out? Have you guys been to the New Art and Jake's? That place is pretty cool, right? And maybe you invite some people there, and you know you invite them, and all of a sudden they're like, oh, we can't make it, we can't make it. And you see on Facebook, they're at Art and Jake's being, this place is amazing. <laughs> Wish more and more people here, and they tag friends, and you're like, you son of a gun. You know what I mean? Like you're just, you're, you're hurt, and you're mad. And then you begin to like get upset. You want punish. Have you ever had somebody that was so offensive to you and something bad happens to them a little bit, not horrific, but bad, and you're like, got what was coming to you you know but when everybody else says it you're like oh oh for real you know inside you're just like yeah they deserve that you know like you feel this way because we we want them to feel pain the way we feel pain and the irony is in this covenant if we can't feel love the way that we wanted to and we're feeling pain we want the other two at the same time especially if they caused it and this happens from the time we're children like i've we put my younger one isaac to bed a few nights ago and then I go, we're all going to bed. He goes, no one's going to bed. I said, we're all going to bed. Every, everybody's going to night-night, man. We're all, we're all tired. Your mom and I, we're exhausted raising you guys. No, I'm just kidding, right? We are a little bit at times. You know, we're super tired, you know? And all of a sudden, he lays down. He gets up, he's the restroom. And I'm like, oh, no, because I had Caleb and Noah came in there to watch a show. And he goes, I knew it. I knew you guys were going to watch a show without me, you know? And he jumps in bed in between us, and he's there. And he's nine, but he's 130 pounds, man. So he's like, like a small WWE wrestler in there with us, you know? And, and he's, he's hurt. He feels betrayed. I mean, God, God is trying to explain this. And there, there are some of us that are sitting in here. The betrayal is so difficult. There are stories in our divorce recovery that are just so difficult to navigate and walk through. And the hurt and the pain that is carried by people. The hurt and the pain that have been caused by some of us. And we don't know how to carry this. And, and God is just sharing a really honest commentary, if you would, on how that makes us feel. But something revolutionary happens because God is a God of covenant, but a covenant that we've never understood before. I think we miss this sometimes. He's a God of covenant that loves us in a way that we can't even imagine. He says, therefore, I am now going to allure her. Something shifts in his heart. Something shifts in this moment, I, I, I think, when he's thinking of Israel, when he's thinking of his people, when he, he's beginning to help Hosea. Maybe Hosea is thinking a certain way about Gomer. He says, therefore, I'm now going to allure her. I will lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. There I will give her back her vineyards and will make the valley of Accor a door of hope. I love that. Don't you love when there's the concept and beauty of essence of hope in the middle of no hope? 
There she will respond as in the days of her youth, as in the day she came up out of Egypt. In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. You will no longer call me my master. Something shifts even in this relationship in the words of God. He's looking even to you and I today, and he's saying, I, this isn't like a religious relationship, a religious covenant. This is a relational thing that I want with you. And even if you betray me or you feel no good or you just feel like you, you have no right to be in here, I've heard people say, man, I would, the, the ceiling will come down on me if I step foot in a church. Are you kidding me? Jesus Christ will stand to his feet and say, there's my daughter or my son. I love them. I'm so grateful they're here. I mean, this is like the heart of God. It's so different than what we've really thought and understood, I think, for all of us. He moves on in this language, I will betroth you to me forever. He says, it doesn't matter what you do, I am with you forever. I love you, I'm with you no matter what. I love you, I'm with you no matter what. He's saying this. I will betroth you in faithfulness and you will acknowledge the Lord. And that day I will respond, declares the Lord, I will respond to the skies and they will respond to the earth and the earth will respond to the grain and the new wine and the olive oil and they will respond to Jezreel. And I will plant her for myself in the land, and I will show my love to the one I called not my loved one. I will say to those called not my people, you are my people, and they will say you are my God. And this is like this beautiful story. And then he says, Hosea, I want you to go show this love in the most merciful way you can. Your wife has been unfaithful to you. She has had children with other men. She has embarrassed you and brought shame to you. You have every legal right to divorce her, to leave her, to abandon her. You have every right to do that. She, she is deserving of all the things we discussed earlier. But Hosea had begins to have this heart of mercy that he feels from his God in his own heart. And the Lord said to me, go show your love to your wife again. Though she is loved by another man as an adulteress, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites. Though they turn to the other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes, love her. And I think there's something so powerful that we just don't even begin to understand. Love does this miraculous work in God's heart and beginning to do it through Hosea. Can you imagine walking through the town? He had to walk through and purchase back his wife. She got herself in a situation where she became almost a slave to something. And he purchases her back. He takes her back and loves her and invites her back into covenant in spite of all these things. This is unconditional love. And it's something that I can't even begin to understand, like how this works. And I think Jesus says it so beautifully because this is really a work that you and I can't do on our own. It's got to be a work that God does in our hearts and lives. And in the book of Romans, it says this. Well, not that, but that's actually good, isn't it? It says this right here. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Ungodly, this idea is not saying that you're just not religious enough or good enough. It's saying that there's a part of our hearts that have, we've missed the mark. We've screwed up. We've been so hurt we feel like we can't even be redeemed. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Think about Gomer right now. Though a good person, someone might possibly dare to die for. Maybe if you're like the best person in the world, your mother Teresa, maybe, maybe one of us would give our life for you. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we were Gomer, while we were unfaithful, while we were bringing shame to so many people around us, while we were hurting and being hell on wheels to everybody in our life, Christ died for us because he loved us unconditionally. This is an amazing idea 
this amazing, crazy concept that Christ loves us. And this idea of mercy, dispensing mercy. And this is the work that Jesus Christ has to do. And I wanted to share this in this room before we kind of spend just a couple of minutes here talking about why should we love mercy? Not like just what is mercy. Caroline Custis James says mercy is a said. It's this unbelievable thing that God does that we can't even really get language around. It's faithfulness. It's, 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 it's unfailing love. It's gentleness. It's, it's kindness. It's, it's so beautiful. And this picture and story of Hosea Actually loving the unfaithful is God's way of saying, man, I love you unconditionally. I am with you. I love you. I'm for you. He's saying all this to us. And this idea of mercy, and this idea of mercy is dispensing mercy. It's showing love. He tells Hosea, go show your love to your wife. The idea of what we do with the WAVE project is showing love. The reason we gathered together and, and, and raised funds to do the wells in South uh, you know, Podak, like over there in, in, in Africa. Why would we do that thousands of miles away? Because God instructed us and asked us to go show our love to everybody here, there, and all across the world, right? This idea so people would know that there's a God that sees them and knows them and loves them. But I was talking to a good friend of mine, and um, they, they, they run, he and his wife, Brent and Jenna, run Treeside Psychological Clinic, and I said, I just want to speak briefly for a moment because I, I, I love our community, and I want to Help us understand something. That this is a work that Jesus Christ does in our hearts first. And some of you, if anybody would be here, you know somebody's here online, and you're thinking that showing mercy means that you have to reciprocate and you have to go back to somebody that maybe has been abusing you or hurting you. That work of mercy might first start in your heart of forgiveness, but maybe the practical dispensing of that mercy happens through somebody else. And I was asking him, I said, how do you counsel people? And how do you do this with people? And it's okay to have some proximity, some distance from that pain because you actually are showing mercy by not being connected to that person that's abusing. It's giving them the freedom and opportunity and believe it or not, the mercy to begin to reflect and say, God, I need you to do something in my heart and help change me. And I just wanted to say that because as a church, we have a responsibility to love and protect people and care for people and offer mercy to everybody. But there are ways that we... We do that in those moments, and I just I wanted to share that. And, if, and I wanted to tell you, if you're hurting and you need help, you can always reach out. We're here to love and to care for you. It's amazing. It goes on, this idea of why should we love mercy? Because we need mercy at some point in our life. We, we need mercy. I mean, we all do at some level, right? I, I've got, like, uh, I'll give you an example. I know I should say this, but uh, Chris, I'm going to say it. <laughs> So I, I, was, uh, I was bringing some uh, boys home. We had a middle school party last night. And uh, I was driving, and I may have went through an orange light. That's between a yellow and a red. I don't know if you know what those are. And I may have done that because I was talking to middle school. But if you have, like, six middle school kids in your car, it's, you might as well have, like, you know, I don't know, a whole flock of a zoo or something crazy going on. It's wild. And I, I get pulled over, and I, I, he goes, do you know what you did? And I said, I'm an idiot. I did. I'm so sorry. I went through this. And. He looked over, he goes, do I know you? And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> he goes, <laughs> he go, I go, maybe. He goes, yeah, I was at the men's event. <laughs> Monday night, you're the pastor guy, right? And I said, yeah, I am. <laughs> yeah, I'm a terrible driver, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I am so sorry. <laughs> and uh, it, it's actually running our tech, it's Christian's brother. <laughs> so, and I'm like, hey, man, and he allowed me a little mercy and grace because he saw the six middle school boys <laughs> in my car with me. We are all in need of mercy at some moment, simple and practical and real. There's moments we are just need 
of mercy. And I stop and I think about this reality of needing mercy deeply in a profound way. When I was young, 15, I had broken my leg, wasn't able to play in basketball tournaments in the summer, which we loved to do. And I hung out with this kid named Adam. Uh, it was in my neighborhood, and he invited me to hang out because my other buddies were busy playing basketball tournaments. And I felt left out. Not that they left me out, but I felt like that, right? We feel like that at moments. And, and so I, you know, I, I, I was like, okay, and I hung out with Adam. And we went over to Meyer on M59. You ever been there? In Waterford, if you live in the Waterford area. Then we went in there, and he goes, I got an idea. He goes, let's get, some, let's get some alcohol for these girls we're with. I'm like, okay. And then I thought, well, we got no money or no ID. He goes, yeah, we're just going to take it. I'm like, okay, and I had a broken leg. He goes, I want you to do it. He goes, I think you got the, the courage to do this. I'm like, I do, I do. Thank you for recognizing that. I do have courage. Thank, I can do this, right? This is what happens in the mind of a 15-year-old. And so I, I take that, you know, bottle of vodka, and I put it down one pant leg, and I'm, I got a broken leg in the other one, and I crutches, and I'm, I mean, I've got to be on America's Dumbest Criminals is what I should have been on it. I'm walking out, and loss prevention stops me at the door, and they said, you're not going anywhere. And next thing you know, I'm in the back of a police car. And uh, they were like, what are you doing on stage, right? And uh, this was part of my story. And so I'm there, and my parents were in South Carolina, and I called my dad, and uh, lovingly he said, well, there's nothing I can do about it. We'll, uh, we'll have to get you out in the morning. <laughs> and I was like, and it was the truth, though. <laughs> nothing he could do about it, right? And so I said, oh, my gosh, but you guys had called uh, Randy and Vicky, and my uncle Randy came and got me and. He came and got me, and he made me breakfast, and he, you know, he told me what a dumb thing that was to do, but he told me how much he loved me, and he made me food, and he knew I was scared and afraid and felt bad. And I think about this scripture when I think about this idea of why do we need mercy, because all of us need it at some point in our life. You are lying to yourself if you say otherwise. You're being fraudulent to your own soul. You're being dishonest with your own destiny to the reality that you won't need this kind of mercy. And in Matthew 25, Jesus makes it very clear. He says, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you even came to visit me. And they respond, Lord, what are you talking about? We never did that. We never clothed you when you were naked. We never fed you when you were hungry. We never visited you in prison. When were you in prison, Jesus? We never gave you anything to drink when you were, I, I don't understand. Jesus replies in verse 40, he says, the king will reply in this parable, he is the king. Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Jesus is saying, if you're wanting to be spiritual, offer mercy. If you're wanting to actually experience spirituality to another level, you don't got to come to another service. You don't got to watch more online. We love that we get to gather and do this. It's not about that. He's saying when you begin to experience the mercy of God in your own life and you begin to extend it in a profound way, it radically changes the way that you see everybody. And Jesus says, in fact, when you do this to my brothers and sisters, he's saying the people that are the least of these, the drug addicts, those that are lost, the ones that can't stop at a red light, right? Like, right, these people, right, when you look at them and you love them, you're doing it as if unto me. This is an unbelievable thing that Jesus begins to make clear for us and help us understand. Why? Why? Man, not only do we need mercy, but others need mercy so bad. I mean, others just, there are people right now, there are people, you know what's so crazy to stop and think? When I was, they were filming the Wave Project, there are amazing people 
that have literally not had a shower in two weeks, two months, three months. And they feel so seen and so loved and so cared about in those moments. There are people that walk through the doors today and one of you shook somebody's hand and you smiled at them and you offered mercy and you made them feel seen and known and loved. And not only that, Jesus says, when you do this to the least of my brothers and sisters, he says, these are my family. Well, they don't look like your family, Jesus. These are my family. How many of you had a child that was lost to you? Would you ever quit looking for them? Would you ever give up? Think about my four children. There's nothing I wouldn't do. I dedicate my life to finding them. That's why Jesus says, I come to seek and save those that are lost and hurting. Like, that's his heart. And I just feel like, man, we can't miss his heart. His heart for us and his heart in us, through us, to others. And I just, I, I stop and I begin to think about this reality. What could our lives look like? What could our lives look like and our communities begin to look like if, if we actually really love mercy? Micah is saying, God, what is it? What do you require of us? He says to act justly, to love mercy, to really love mercy, to have a passion and desire to dispense mercy, to allow the mercy of Jesus Christ to move through your life in a profound way, to actually want to extend mercy, to want to give mercy. We have a friend of our community in our campus that has been struggling with Gillian-Barr syndrome for a while, for 100 plus days. He's a young man. He's got children. He's in a long-term care facility right now. And we're going to go see him. That doesn't make us better or anybody, but there's something that burns in our heart that actually wants to go love, that wants to go see, that wants to do that. And, and I'm asking you, there's got to be something part in our hearts that maybe you're in either position that you, you desire mercy or you want to extend mercy, that you badly are burning to experience mercy in this way, that in spite of whatever's happened in your past, whatever's going on in your life right now, that you deeply desire the same kind of mercy that God like, moved through Hosea. He says, I want you to go show your wife unfailing love, unconditional love, merciful love in this way. Like this is burning in the heart of God. Like Jesus says, when you do this to others, the least of these, you're actually doing it unto me, and they're my brothers, and they're my sisters. It's as if you visited my family. It's as if you mentioned, you know, my brother or my sister. And, and I, I think there's a part of this where we just, we've missed this vision of what Jesus Christ does. This idea that we gather together and we understand what it means to be loved and, and hang out. We, we only love because he first loved us. There was something about us that wasn't lovable. There was something inside of us that wasn't honest. There's something in our story that Jesus saw and said, I see a better story. I, I think you and I could write a better story together, right? I think about when he sees the woman caught in adultery and he offers mercy and he says, anyone without sin, cast the first stone. And they all walk away, do they not? He looks on the cross and says, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. Offer mercy. He's sitting at the last table, at the last supper, and he's sitting there in these moments at a table with people that are calling him his friends, saying, we love you. We will follow you wherever. We are loyal in a way you don't even understand. And what do they do? They flee, they fear, they take off, they deny him. Peter takes off, man, he's gone. And I, I just stop and I think, but Jesus still keeps offering mercy. 
Even Peter, he comes back to him. And we're always in a spot in our life for these two things, in a spot that we need mercy or a spot that we're in a position to extend mercy. And I I would ask you this today, like, where, where are you at? Be really honest. If you had to be so honest today, to say that I need mercy. I, I need mercy in my life. I need mercy in my marriage. I need mercy so bad. You need mercy. Or maybe you've been extended mercy before in your life and you're in a position to extend mercy to somebody. And either way, for those that need mercy so bad, you know what Jesus says in Matthew 11? He says, come to me, all that are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me. He says, come on, follow me. Follow me. How many are weary and burdened, if you're honest? You're wore out from life. You're wore out from the burden you're carrying. You're wore out and exhausted. And Jesus says, come to me. Take my yoke. It's easy. He says, I'm gentle and humble at heart. He says, and I can give rest to you, even for your souls. Can you imagine what our lives would look like if we loved mercy? If this place was a space and a place where people came and they said, I feel so loved. I feel like mercy was offered me or or, or God's moving through you to offer mercy through you to other people. And so I just, I want to do this for us right now. I'd love for the team as they come forward, as we get ready to lead in worship. The song, next song, Amazing Grace. This reality of grace, unmerited favor unearned, unmerited, undeserving favor. And there's this powerful thing that happens in our heart and our life. This mercy that God begins to dispense. We even have the chance to offer mercy one day because he first loved us. We actually get a love. And I just want to invite you to stand with me right now. I just want us to pray as a community. And and here online, I'd love to pray for you. Um, Just this idea that God, that you'd really allow us to understand this rich Hebrew word has said, understand it in a profound way to actually understand what it means to love mercy. Like, man, what would our lives look like and feel like if we could love mercy? And I would say we first have to experience that love by Jesus Christ. And so I, I just want us to pray right now. And I would encourage you with everything in my heart as we sing this song, think of the words that are being sung. Do you feel the grace of Jesus Christ in your life? Have you felt the mercy of Jesus Christ in your life? Have you felt the working, beautiful power of the Holy Spirit and Jesus in your life? You say, I'm not worthy of it. Yeah, you are. Jesus calls you his brothers and sisters. He loves you. He cares for you. He says, come to me. If you're wore out and you're burdened and you're upset and you can't figure life out, he says, I'll give you rest. I'll restore you and renew you. He has the power to do that. Father, we ask right now, we we come to you humbly. Some of us are in here, Father, and we are like, perplexed. We are, we, are, we are burdened and wore out, and we need you badly, Jesus. Uh, some of us are in here, and we are in a position to offer mercy. And God, you're asking us to offer forgiveness. You're asking us to show love to somebody. And God, so our prayer is simple. Please show us love by your grace. And God, with the power of your grace, this unmerited love and favor you bestow on us, you give to us. God, move through us that we can show others this kind of love. Make us a people that actually love mercy. In your name, Christ, we ask. Amen.
You've been listening to the Kensington Church Podcast. If you've enjoyed this recording, check back weekly for new content. You can find Kensington on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and of course, at kensingtonchurch.org.